cancer. Wasn't that enough? Now you have to take my voice too? Why? Why me? Please, just leave me my voice. Dove Faith Cafe. Real stories by real people. In this story, Connie shares with us her journey into the unknown with all the fear and uncertainty that it can bring. She triumphs and sees how God was preparing her for the journey, even as a child. Listeners should know that Connie is a hearing person who does not speak and communicates through sign language. The voice you hear is Sandy's, her friend and interpreter. Sit back and enjoy Angels Among Us. My story starts 70 years ago. I was born in a family and my sister just so happens to be deaf. So growing up, my sister taught me sign language. I also learned how to speak Spanish. So August 2008, I started to have some difficulty breathing. I thought, oh, it's probably my nose and some allergies and something. I don't know what it is. But I continued to worry about it, worry about it, and it became worse. So my husband finally said to me, you know, we need to go to the emergency room. You're having difficulty breathing. So we go to the emergency room. They take a picture, chest x-ray. The doctor comes back in and says to me, you have asthma. I said, okay. Um, the respiratory therapist comes in and she kind of looks around like the doctor wasn't there and then she said, you don't have asthma. You have a serious problem in your throat area. You need to call an ENT. I said, oh, okay. So that will help me breathe or whatever. Yeah, okay. So the next day I go home and I'm looking through a phone book, if you know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at the internet too, so. And I find an ENT right in this area. I give him a call. And the nurse says, sorry, we can't get you in today. Okay, so I have to wait another day. I'm having difficulty breathing. Don't know if I'm going to make it. I can't lay down and go to sleep. I can't lay down at all because then I can't breathe. My chest kind of closes up. So the next day, I go to the doctor. And I, expl and I explain what's going on. So they give me a CT scan. And I'm waiting for the doctor to come back. And he said, you need to call your family members. I'm like, why? You need to go to the University of Chicago right now. And he didn't explain anything to me as to why. I needed this, but he said, you need to go, and you need to go now. So I call my daughter up. She comes, and she picks me up, and we go. And the doctor just happened to be studying there at the University of Chicago, and that's where he was certified. So we guys, I'm going to wait to see the doctor there, and I go into the ER room, and they said, he said to me, they're going to wait for you in the ER. So I arrived there, and 
they meet me there and they said, oh, we're waiting for you. Oh, okay, funny. So they take me in. There was like two doctors there and a nurse and they're all crowding around me and I'm like, wow, kind of impressive, you know. <laughs> so they said, we're gonna we have a picture, we're gonna take a picture of your, of your throat. And they come back and they have a scope, like they're gonna put a scope down my throat. And we're gonna take a look. He says, you're gonna to have to have surgery right now. Right now. I'm like, what? What? Nobody explained anything. Again, I didn't know what was gonna happen. And so my daughter had known. I guess they had told her, but nobody told me, and I guess they were afraid to tell me. I don't know. So but they said it's very important that you can't fall asleep during the surgery and you cannot lay down. I'm like, oh, okay. So they wheel me in and I'm sitting there and there's people coming in and coming and going and they got all these tools and stuff and they're looking in my throat and we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, I need you to cover my face because I don't want to see what you're doing. <laughs> so, you know, they're like doing all the surgery around my neck and I'm like, ow, 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 you know, this hurts. And they gave me more. No, again, they, they not enough to just to numb it because I couldn't fall asleep. So again, they're like, you know, doing all this stuff and I'm screaming. I'm like, this is still hurting me. So they give me more shots. And so about four times they had it numb it. So finally, I hear this like pop. That's when they pushed this tube down into my throat and I just screamed. And that was the last thing I remember, I passed out. So when I wake up again, I'm in recovery, and I'm all panic, I'm all panicky, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And my daughter's there and she says, Mom, you can breathe. You can breathe through your nose, you can breathe through your mouth, and now you can breathe through your throat. <laughs> you have three places. I'm like, okay. So they took some tissue and Again, they didn't explain to me what was going on. I said I wasn't sure when it happened. So now they tell me you have to stay at this hospital for four or five days so until you recover. So I go, they put me in a room. My daughter's there, my son is there, and, and my husband. So the two, or they all three of them, or the two of the kids leave. But my husband is there with me. And I said, please just go home, you know, get some rest and I'll be fine. So they all leave. And then there's a respiratory therapist comes in and she says, hi, how are you doing? She said, I usually never work on this floor. I'm always on, this was the sixth floor and I'm always on the fourth floor myself, but I'm here tonight. But she said, God told me I needed to be, help you. I thought, well, that's strange, you know, how would, you know, why would she say that to me? So she said, I would like to pray with you later on. Is that all right? I'm like, yeah, that's that great. So she says, I have some music if you want to listen to it. And so she gave me some music and then she left. She said, I'll finish my work, my rounds and stuff, and then I'll come back. I'm like, okay, fine. So I kind of like listen to music and I just lay in there, go to sleep, and wake up. 
until finally she comes back about maybe 11 or 12. The moon is like shining in the window and she says, are you ready? I'm like, yeah. So she wraps her arms around me. And she starts to pray with me. And I am just bawling. I'm just crying, crying. Finally, I feel like all the pressures of the day just leave. And she gives, and she has really blessed me. So she said to me, I may never see you again, but I will be praying for you. I want you to know that. Said, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You helped me so much. I, I enjoyed that you prayed for, with me. And now I'm really at peace. So the next day, I call my husband and I tell him, you're not going to believe what happened. And I tell him the story about this respiratory therapist. And he says, well, that's, that's funny, he says, because on the way home last night, I prayed to God that an angel would come and visit with you and give you peace. Wow. You know? I, so I'm thinking maybe she's an angel. But yeah, but, you know. The doctor comes in and says to me, well, you can go home. But I want you to know, I'm going to give you information about the tracheotomy. And so the doctor calls. I see the doctor again. We have to go for visits and stuff. And, and he says, you're going to need chemo and radiation. You have cancer. You smoke? No, I've never smoked. I don't know how. He said, does anybody in your family have cancer? No. So I go back to the doctor, and now I have to go in the hospital to start the radiation and the chemo. And I'm sort of excited because I can see that maybe I'll see the respiratory therapist again. I'm going to be on her floor. Maybe I'll see her. So I'm a little bit excited about going. So I go there, and you know, I'm in the hospital, and I ask everybody, I ask all the other staff, and, you know, the respiratory therapists that come in by me, they're like, do you know this woman? You know, do you, have you heard of her? Have you seen her? And they're like, no, no, no. So I'm like, well, maybe next time when I come back, I'll see her. So I go back again and again and again. From November through March, I had to go back to the hospital every other week. And I had to stay there, and I never met that person again. So maybe she was an angel. <laughs> When I finished everything with the radiation and chemo, I left the doctor and she said, it's not gone, the cancer's not gone. 50% still there. So now I have to have more surgery. Take out stuff, get rid of the cancer. Okay. So I have the surgery and the cancer's gone. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord. Yes. So I go to see the doctor that April, 2009, and she says, I have some good news for you. The cancer's gone. Like, yes. But I asked her, I says, well, when am I going to get my voice back? She shakes her head. You're going to lose your voice in about three months' time. I said, will it come back then after that? 
She says, no, I'm sorry. Your voice will be gone for good. You'll never be able to speak again. Wasn't that enough? Now you have to take my voice too? Why? Why me? Please, just leave me my boy. What am I going to do? How am I going to, you know, without my voice, what am I going to do? I can't work. God said to me, you will see what becomes in your, in your new life. Yep, I lost my voice. Now what? Well, really I found school near my house that has a deaf program for children I'm like wow I know sign language thanks to my sister so I go to the school and I talk to the teachers there and I said can I like volunteer and come in and, and help and they're like yeah sure one or two days a week sure that'd be great so I go and that was not enough for me. So I started to go every day. For 12 years now, I have been volunteering at the school. But I have to tell you, two years before I got sick, I just happened to go back to college that May 2008. And I graduated from college with honors. That August, three months later, and I think I, was, I had finished college and I had my certificate and my degree and now I can be a substitute teacher so I became a sub for that program all 12 years now it's not been easy I've had my struggles I've had years without eating I had a feeding tube I've had all total of 25 surgeries on, on different procedures and five serious surgeries. I've had cancer twice. I'm still here. No, I don't have a voice, but I'm enjoying my life so much. I want always to, teach, to be a teacher. I've always wanted to be a teacher, and now I am one. The cancer became a blessing in my life. And I thank God every day for the time that I have to see those children, to see my children, see my grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, my granddaughter. I now understand why God gave me a deaf sister. And I can see a different perspective on my life. And I see how God has been there each step of the way. And he's gotten me ready for each step. And to be here to tell you all my story and to give you hope and to have you realize how many times we see God in our lives and the people that we meet and the things that just seem to happen we need to open our eyes open our hearts and believe thank you
you have a faith story you'd like to tell, go to our website at dovefaithcafe.org to find out how you can share your story. So I want to thank you both for joining me. Um, our special guest today is Reverend Nicole Lambelay. She is the Associate Rector for Children, Youth, and Families at St. Luke's in Atlanta. And of course, my co-host is Jordan Trendleman, who is a seminarian at Swanee in Tennessee, and I am Marie Gambetta. And uh, I welcome you uh, today, Nicole. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we've just heard Connie's story as told by her interpreter, Sandy. Um, and uh, Jordan was talking about how um, different it is to hear the story as opposed to seeing Connie on stage. When we saw her on stage, there was such expression in her gestures and in her face. And it was very different, I think, for both of us to just hear it, um, uh, just the audio portion and not, and not all of it. So I'm curious, Nicole, then what, what that means from your angle, having just, just now heard it on its own, uh, what, what your takeaway is, because ours is going to be immediately affected by that, that reality. Sure. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you you bring up this this idea of of presence of in some ways of the bodily the bodily presence missing from audio when we talk over over podcasts right we're not we're not seeing the or or sitting with the enfleshed sort of um, <laughs> embodied embodied humans um, that we are in our day to day life and. It, re it relates to something that I think really stood out to me in Connie's story was this just this idea of divine encounter and how we experience the divine um, in others or in mystical experience or all the ways that God shows up to us and makes God's self known. So this is a play on presence and absence um, always, right? Um, so it's interesting to me to, to start off right from the bat with those themes already in play based on the medium when the content, the theological content that came to me most, <laughs> most uh, I guess, uh, most saliently was, was also themes around that. Oh, how interesting. How interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about that. You know, uh, Connie said, we see God every day. We just have to look, you know, did you catch that at the end? And, and gosh, if, if you're, if you're not looking, I suppose you won't see God, you know, I, I, and, and yeah. And it's interesting, interesting in the conversation of disability, like, right. Even, even that metaphor that we use to see God or to know God, mm -hmm. um, we're using, we're using sight as a metaphor yeah. for, for something that we experience. And so, um, yeah, lots of, lots of interesting interplays yeah. all the way yeah. around. Absolutely. Absolutely. I found it interesting in Connie's story that even as a child, so many years ago, God was already preparing her, you know, by, by teaching her sign language when her sister was deaf and no one else in the family knew sign language. Her sister taught her sign language and they, they communicated together. I think that's such a beautiful story. And, and she learned Spanish. I, I don't know if she mentioned in this version that, um, that she's as she's substituting as she's working with these children now she's she's signing she's working with the the hearing impaired but she's also teaching spanish too you know mm -hmm. or communicating with some of them in spanish and she learned that as a child too and i think that 
it's just amazing how God was already preparing her so many years ago for what God would eventually do in her life. So we've been talking recently, uh, Maria, uh, in, in other stories about how when we look back on, on, our, on our lives and our experiences and we construct a narrative, it's really, there's a spiritual discipline involved in that that is kind of paying attention to exactly what you were talking about. Like if we're not looking for something, we don't see it. And, it, and kind of like this, this spiritual practice of, of, of developing story and developing narrative and looking back and making those connections between what might've seemed arbitrary at one point, but then has some profound significance yeah. later on in life. It really is a spiritual practice, and it's a spiritual discipline that that, that, that can be cultivated. You know, and we, and we and I think we saw that in this whole process with these storytellers of watching them develop that ability to make those connections, construct narrative out of their experiences, and how spiritually edifying that was. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious just to hear you all speak about that skill of theological reflection. Um, how do you see that? honed in our in our churches and in our communities today like how do we how do we teach others to do that how do we do that ourselves is it is it just a modeling um that happens or is that something that we somehow practice together and where do you see that come in in the life of the church i don't see it except in this setting i really don't um but maybe i'm just maybe i'm just not aware of it you know maybe i maybe again if i'm not looking for it maybe i'm not seeing it right but I, I think as we share our experiences of the divine, of God's intervention in our lives, I think we, we do become more aware of the ref, you know, reflection of the experiences we have, just, just as you said. And I think that it's important as well. You know, we joke as Episcopalians about our, our additional sacrament of the coffee hour or whatever. But I think it's important that in our churches that we name that time period as a safe space to explore the spiritual dimension of our stories. And so it's great to catch up on who's doing what in their college, who's what work is like for that person that week and all the more uh, you know secular mundane conversations that we have. That's important for building community but we can't short ourselves on the opportunity in the safe space of our faith communities to talk about the spiritual dimension of our lives. And I think that's something that we just kind of have to promote uh, as, as, as a spiritual discipline, as a practice, uh, that to utilize that safe space and time together to draw those connections, and create those narratives about where God's intervening in our lives mm -hmm. in an environment where we, where we can feel comfortable to do so amongst our spiritual families. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's been much a part of our tradition um, in, in our church, there's some churches, some church, some faiths that do that so well. And I really admire that because they're very vocal about how God is working in their life. And that's just, that's just what they do. And I, I love that. And I would love to cultivate that in my own church and in our own faith tradition. Yeah. This idea of, of testimony or of, of witness. Sometimes mm -hmm. we, we, uh, underplay in, in Episcopal circles, um, I think for sure. Um, I am curious though, I mean, if I think about the witness of, of scripture though, I mean, I do, I do see that happening as folks have gone in and have edited and have intentionally told the story in a certain kind of way to say something true about God, to say something they, you know, to, to articulate ways that, that even if, even if we look back and say, well, did that really happen like that? 
um, they, they are saying to us essentially that, that God showed up. That God, yeah. that God made a difference, that God had a hand in this. Um, and so to translate that scripture reading, that skill in looking at scripture to find God's action and God's presence and God's, um, you know, whatever is true about God's character from those stories, um, I think I think are one of the skills that that we're looking to translate to folks being able to do that in their everyday life. So so our own lives then become a graced space of of encounter with God too and in some ways um are like scripture in that God meets us there and that we can see God's action um and God's presence um in our own stories in our own communities and the the histories that we tell about them. And to share that with other people like Connie did, you know, I mean, that's, that's just, that's so powerful because it stirs up inside of us, um, our own, our own embers of faith, whether they're cooling or whether they're on fire, it just stirs us up and, and helps us to look for those, those connections and those encounters. Yeah. I want to go back almost Marie to what you're saying about like cultivating the, the, awareness or or even just the question is like how do we recognize how do we know how do we see um those questions are really provocative to me i think especially yeah. especially in um in a time where we are wanting to uh be um i mean we we, we want to say well, we believe in science that like faith and science are not opposed to one another and right. yet there is this like mystery <laughs> we can't explain and the language of faith has traditionally filled that gap um for folks but i also see um especially with my with my work um you know with 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 youth to some extent um you know sort of sort of the almost a, a timidness sometimes i think to name to name that um, mystical piece um, in a way that I that I haven't seen from from folks who maybe are in other generations, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious about that. Yeah. So 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 I'm I want to know what what you both think about the Connie's story about the respiratory therapist who came to her room that she never, no one ever could find again. What do you? Well, think right. I mean, that's what we've been sort of talking talking right. around this whole time without yeah. naming explicitly so thanks for saying it uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah what do you think i th i think that the the most powerful way for me to look at that from a from a narrative mechanism kind of way or from like a a genre kind of way of storytelling is that there's there's far more spiritual truth in the mystery of that idea than there is an unquantifiable like like uh way of of figuring out exactly what happened um and 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 kind of like kind of like you, you you said nicole that like uh whether or not a story is told enough times that it takes on a different truth than it's than it's i'm not accusing connie of making it up by any means but i'm just saying the the story demonstrates a, a fundamental spiritual truth about God's presence with us and that God manifests incarnationally in the people around us at times in order to, to be what we need in that moment. And that's a, that's a spiritual truth that we, that we, uh, we teach with, with, and the quantifiable proof of it is in, is in everybody's lives. And we can all attest to it, but it's not something that you could say, well, it must've been this, or it must've been that. 
and I, and I think that that's okay. I, I, I'm much more inspired by it as a mystery than I would be to know and find out that it was just a visiting nurse from some other thing and nobody knew, you know, or something like that. I, uh, I'm happy with it to be a mystery, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 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 And what I love about mysteries, right, is they, is that they create a limit to our knowledge, right? Like they remind us that there are just some things we can't know and we can't figure out. And there's something so humanly frustrating about, about that, right? <laughs> but I also feel like when I run up against a mystery, like I also have, have learned more recently as I get older, um, more recently, like I just have, I just have delight, you know, that, that, that just like, I can't know, there's no way I'm going to figure it out. And just, and just to take joy in, in my limitation in a way that I think, again, like when I was younger, I was like, well, I, you know, and I struggle and, and just, you know, butt up against that and, and try to lock horns and, and try to get to the bottom of it. And, and now I, now I just see it as, as just a reason to delight and a, and a reason for joy. And I, and I think that that's what I heard from Connie's story, like yeah. unapologetically, I'm not going to explain this to you, but yeah. isn't this fabulous? And yeah. <laughs> look yeah. at where, look at where I ended up. Yeah. And for me, and for me, if this podcast were to air and somehow the nurse that was her visiting nurse that that night heard this podcast and and spoke up and contacted Connie and said, "I'm that nurse that came here." Would it would it change the story really? Would it would I think that Connie should tell this story differently than she does? And I I really don't think that it for me it, it wouldn't hold any less spiritual truth to know that that was a real person for me. It 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 it, it just really wouldn't you know. Right. So. Yeah. Because yeah. God calls us all to be angels to someone at some time, right? So angels can be celestial or mortal. You know, at, at, at different times, we have been an angel to someone. We've been a blessing to someone because of something we did or something we said or just by showing up or, or whatever, by a hug or w whatever we did, praying with someone. We have been an angel to someone. And so I think God uses um, mortal angels and I think God uses celestial angels, I think both. But I, yeah. I agree with you, Nicole, I'm, I'm fine with the mystery. I, I, that's one of my favorite sayings um, to my husband is I'm fine with the mystery. And you know, whether it's about something having to do with faith or whether it's where's the you know, extra 74 cents that's not showing up in our checkbook, <laughs> I'm okay with the mystery. I'm really all right with that. And uh, it does add something to it. It really adds, um, some, some food for thought and some, some, some area of contemplation where we can dig into that and just say, wow, God, you know, what were you up to there? That's, that's really kind of cool. And was there a mystery like that in my life? You know, and it causes us to reflect again on, on perhaps the, the mysteries in our life. And, and there's so many that, that we'll never know, you know, we may not even be aware of, you know, that, that it was a mystery. I, I just, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, so something that Connie said at the end struck me, um, she said, she said she's thankful every day. And I love that about Connie. I've known Connie for a very long time. And that, that is Connie. She is thankful every day. She also said, now I understand. Um, and I think that, that has stuck with me. And that's, that's, that's kind of interesting to me because she sees how, God has been with her each step of the way, but, but we won't always understand what God was doing for us as we went 
through the trials that we went to through God certainly doesn't send the, the, the pain and the suffering, but God promises to be with us through it. And, and Connie sees that she says, she says that she, she understands now it's about trust. She trusted God to get her through and to comfort her and to heal her. And I was wondering if that, if that struck anyone else, her understanding um, now that she's on the other side of the cancer. Yeah, that's an interesting question to me in part because, um, and, and I might be getting too philosophical here, so y'all just stop me if I, if I do. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when, when we say about understanding, right? Like we're talking about um, on some level, like a comprehension of why things happened the way that we did, they did, um, which is sort of, rubs up against this idea of mystery for me right like if we understand then then there's in some ways where that 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 is a that is moving in a different direction than mystery but i think what you what was also there and you and you already said this too was this idea of trust of trusting god's presence and of trusting god's faithfulness and i think that the spiritual task of trusting god's faithfulness and provision in and in spite of uh circumstances that we don't understand and that we can't make meaning of i mean that is that is faith right <laughs> that to me is faith the the act of trusting god's own faithfulness to us um even when we have no idea what might be happening and before us so um so those that those those uh, words um the understanding juxtaposed with this idea of trust um is is interesting because i think we're always sort of batting back and forth between wanting to make meaning wanting to understand the why and yet often i mean that we can we can pull up millions of biblical figures right here like job and so on and so on yeah. who um who the invitation was was to continue to trust and continue to to live faithfully into the faithfulness of god without really understanding why absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that that idea that there is inherently some sense of mystery in trust, because if we can quantifiably say this is going to happen, if I turn my coffee maker on and it makes coffee, I could say I trust that my coffee maker makes coffee, but that doesn't necessarily is not really the best use of that word. I mean, I know my coffee's gonna. I have an understanding that my coffee maker is gonna make coffee because it does yeah. every time I turn it right. So that's different yeah. than like Connie's trust and faith just really moving her through this experience. And it, it turned out in a, in a way where she's, she's alive and she's healthy and she's happy and she finds purpose and understanding in that. But I can't help but think that, that Connie would have had the same level of trust regardless of how it turned out. Yeah. Because that just seems to be something that's in, 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 that she's at that point in her faith experience and her faith journey where she's able to approach this sort of experience with that sense of trust, trusting in the mystery of it, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and part of that is that, you know, God doesn't promise that we're not going to have hard times. In fact, God says you probably will have hard times. Um, but it, it, God promises to be with us through those hard times. And, and, and that's a promise that he makes to everyone. Everyone has that invitation. Everyone can just accept that gift that God is offering. And we just have to take it. What 
what Connie did was she went through this experience, whether she was a person of faith or not, she was going to go through this experience. This experience was much easier for Connie because she's a person of faith, because she knew God was with her walking through that with her and that she, she found moments of comfort and of joy and of God's presence through that. And I think that was one of the things that that was the thing that really brought Connie through this as, as a victor, you know? Hmm. All right. So here's another question. Um, so many people have these experiences and they end up bitter. And that was not Connie. Connie didn't end up bitter. She could have, she could have, but I, I suspect because she's a trusting person, because she trusts in God, that's what kept her from becoming bitter. What do you guys think about that? It seems like the, it seems like a very obvious answer mm -hmm. as, as to why, but we also kind of get into a similar kind of chicken egg conversation like we had with Melissa's story. And, and once, once again, talking, talking about cancer and somebody who seemingly comes out on the other end of it with this profound sense of faith and, and God's, God's presence. And, and is, it the, is that faith what helps navigate that experience or is that faith generated because of the experience? And you kind of get into this, you know, uh, back and forth about, about uh, you know, whether or not, you know, maybe Connie did have a why me? I mean, I mean, I remember in some versions of the live story, she says, you know, why is she asked several times, why is this happening? Why am I here? Why are you sending me? I mean, you know, like what's going on? She was completely in the dark in the early stages of the whole process when she's rushed to the hospital. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think you end up in a bit of a, a chicken egg situation with that kind of mm -hmm. line of thought. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling and I'm pausing here, Marie, because I, you know, there are so many stories and the ones that we often don't discuss on podcasts, right, where, where um, there is significant loss of some kind in a person's life, and there is no silver lining end to it. Um, is God less present? Is God less faithful? Um, if in, in those circumstances, you know, and um, and or is it, you know, this is again, it's like the the conundrum, the paradox of divine and human interaction, or is it just that that person, for whatever reason, couldn't couldn't see God's provision, couldn't receive God's, um, you know, companionship? I I don't know, but I think I think that I again like, am hesitant to to attach the cause and effect to the relationship <laughs> um, mm -hmm. because because to me it is that it is that unclear and it is that that murky um, you know that that um, that sometimes people are sitting with some huge loss and grief and have um, and, are, and are contending with the absence of God's um, you know, or at least the absence of, of an experience of God's yeah. closeness. Yeah. Um, so theologically, what words do we, do we give to that? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, yeah. that's something I've been thinking about in my, you know, in my experience here, you know, I'm, I'm learning all this stuff and then, you know, that seems like it's, some of it seems it's like it'll be applicable. Some of it doesn't seem like it'll be that applicable. Mm -hmm. And you, and you get back and, and you get back to this basic idea of like, 
there are some things that we as a church think or examine, like this question of did, did this produce more faith in her or, or was the faith there to begin with that helped her navigate it? And we and it's like kind of lazy pastoral theology to tell people that bad things happen for a reason or for their own edification or for their own spiritual, you know, fast track or whatever. Um, but at the same time, I, I think if you ask Connie, if it does does that the way she views this experience if personally on a personal level? Is that a personal spiritual conviction that she's had about her experience? I think it's evident in her story that it is. She grew and she and she. Uh, came to a better place because of because of her suffering, but it's something that I think would be really difficult to to make the proclamation of for somebody else. And whereas it's something yeah. that's within our own spiritual discipline, our own interior life, and our own wrestling with our relationship with God, that like we can come to that conclusion. But it's not a conclusion right. that we could like right. proclaim for somebody else. Right. I think that's really I think that's really right, Jordan. Um, yeah. And I, and I see that I see that at the end of uh, the you know, of Joseph's story too in the Bible, right? Where like so many times we we want to say, we use that line that he says, oh, what God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? And we say that about other people's lives, but we forget that Joseph said it about his own life, right? Mm -hmm. And that that is for the person who undergoes the trial or who experiences the evil or the loss or the grief or, you know, the cancer or whatever it is, that that is for them to say, about their own experience and not for a witness to say. And so I think what you stumbled upon there is exactly true. And I, I use that passage yeah. a lot in scripture to point out um, how we how we misuse and we do do lazy pastoral theology um, so yeah. often in church and it's it's harmful. Yeah. yeah. So, so please don't hear what I said as um, um, the per a person of great faith will will you know become not bitter or at the end of this. Please don't hear that. That's not at all yeah. what I mean because um, you're right. Every person's experience is different, and every person's pain is different. It's very individualized, and you're right. That can only that's something that the person experiencing it can say. It's not something someone can say to them. Absolutely. But but I think I think it's a natural. I mean, it's a natural. If we're just talking about the story or like the archetypal, you know, we're 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 jumping into the kind of this archetypal uh, construct that's put forward by this story. I mean, that's that's what we're here to do. And I think and I think it's it's a natural response type of question when we see somebody of such strength and resilience to to want to to want to name name that as God's activity, you know. Uh, and I don't think that's that's wrong at all. For the sake of the conversation, it's, it's a wonderful yeah. lead. I think it's a wonderful lead-in. So don't, I didn't take it that way at all, Marie. Okay, good, 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 good. Well, for me, the great irony of Connie's story is that now that she has lost her voice, she speaks more loudly than she ever has before. I think I, I love that. I absolutely love that. When, when Connie, when I asked Connie to be part of the Dove Faith Cafe as a storyteller, before she even knew what Dove Faith Cafe was, she and I were having coffee together and she was talking with me and, and she had no voice. So she was whispering and, and, and just talked, just, just, it was a very, very long conversation. And she was sharing story after story after story about God has worked in her life. And she said, but I want to share this with people. I want people to know God's goodness. And, and I don't have any way to do that. And so I said, well, actually, Connie, <laughs> I have a thought for you. 
and uh, and I invited her to be to to be here and and uh, on on the at the Dove Faith Cafe, and she was so excited. But besides the Dove Faith Cafe, Connie has told her story. I've I've seen her tell it in churches, and and um, have, she has an interpreter, and 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 she's reaching more people than she ever did with her voice. Which to me, I love the irony of that. That just gives me chills to to think about that. She is just an absolutely wonderful expression mm -hmm. of, of, of God, Connie is. I mean, she just is, uh, um, she's a delight to, to, to witness uh, uh, firsthand. It's, it's hard, it's hard her, it's an infectious positivity and energy that she, that she possesses. And it's, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real gift that she possesses. Um, uh, and, and I've only known her as this version of Connie. So I don't know how much of that, once again, back to the same. I don't know how much of that existed prior to her, her particular set of circumstances. Now, I can't help but think that she, that she's always had a very bright light about her. She, she it, it'd be hard for it'd be hard for me to imagine her uh, in any other way, you know. And so she's yeah. she's definitely a real blessing. Yeah. I, I've never met Connie, but hearing you all <laughs> hearing you all talk about her, you know, two things come to mind. Um, the first. The first is the the quote by Howard Thurman, where he says that religion is is better caught than taught. Right, like there's something there's something really special about embodying who it is that we are in all of our particularity and offering that to the faithfulness of God. And this takes us back to that that conversation about the faithfulness and the trust again. Right, that that there's something there's something about Connie's story about her own faithfulness in putting herself now as as and all the particularities that she had after the cancer back into the faithfulness of God. And so the storytelling, the platform, you know, that she's happy to then walk on is really an act of offering. Um, and it's and it's offering back what she has been given, even something that that, you know, we we'd normally look at as something that would would harm or or, um, or be a difficulty or be some kind of, um, you know, a hardship um, to her was also something to offer, right? It was also something that God was going to use, that God was going to bring into God's faithfulness. Um, and that's, that's really powerful. It's a really powerful testimony. Yeah. And, and one of the ways that, that Connie's story is still impacting people just just blows my mind. One of the events that we did, um, someone came up to me, someone who's volunteering at the event, and he said at the end of the event, he said, "I know, I know, why I'm here tonight." And I said, "Oh, well, that's that's. I, I thought you were here for for Dove Faith Cafe." And he said, "The reason I'm here, God brought me here to hear Connie's story, because my wife was diagnosed with the exact same cancer as Connie's." And the fact that her testimony could touch him in such a way and give him hope, you know, and, and she spent some time talking with him, that, that, that God is with us through this struggle. And, and that, that was so meaningful for him. And if, if nothing else happens, you know, with this whole Dove Faith Cafe, but that encounter, that, that, that person would would find hope then then that was enough for me so uh, that was that was really uh, i had forgotten about that 
That was really that was amazing. the first event too, wasn't it? It, was. it sure was. It sure yep. was. It was really amazing. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point in telling that story. Not only is it, you know, super meaningful and profound in its own right, but it it does also underscore how Connie's faithfulness to share her story then created community. Um, yeah. And that that is powerful, that that social bondedness, the with us-ness of God then is able to be um, seen and felt and heard and known um, in the with us-ness that we then can have with one another in new ways when we are vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Nicole. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. I'm so grateful to you for giving your time and your attention and your, your love of God and your love of, of story sharing and evangelism. Um, thank you both for being here. I really appreciate it. I'd like to give a shout out of thanks to our storyteller, Connie, her interpreter, Sandy, my co-host, Jordan, and our special guest, the Reverend Nicole Lambelay. Extra special thanks to our audio engineer, Father Tom Adamson. Thanks for making us sound better than we really do. If you like what you hear, let us know. Please subscribe and share and leave a review. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and on our website, dovefaithcafe.org.